Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for this week of Thanksgiving. Thanks for a time with family. Thanks for a time to be reminded of your goodness in our lives and the graciousness that you have offered to us, the material blessings we have, of course, but even more importantly, the graciousness that you've shown us through your son, Jesus, the gifts that you've given to us, whether it's our spiritual gifts or our relational gifts, whether it's our spouses or our families, whoever it may be. We thank you so much for all the things that you've given us. So today I I pray that you would um, multiply our offering and multiply our influence, both in this area and Cornerstone and in in this immediate community, but also worldwide. I pray that you would use the money that's given to this church and that we would be great stewards of it and we would use it in a way that is honoring to you and brings much glory to your name. Father, I pray that you bless this time um, of service where we open up your word for a little bit and continue our generosity series. I pray that you would challenge us to begin to think once again deeply about how we can be generous people in all areas of our lives and let it become second nature within us to live generously because when we live generously, we reflect you well. We become those image bearers that we're called to be. So Father, bless us this morning, bless this offering, and bless our time in the word of God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and start our sermon this morning. Um, I, I watch a lot of Disney princess movies. Sean's over here next to me running the slides this morning, and she's giggling quietly. Uh, because I do. I watch a lot of Disney princess movies. But I have a reason. I don't just watch Disney princess movies by myself at home. I have two girls at home, and, and one of the technology rules that Rachel and I have in our home is that we will watch the content of whatever show my children are watching in order to make sure that that content is appropriate for our children to watch. One of my least favorite movies that I've come across in watching all these Disney movies with the Disney Plus and stuff is The Little Mermaid. Ariel is 16, and there's a specific scene where she's yelling at her dad uh, about loving someone that she's only seen from a distance and is actually a different species than her, how much she loves this man, even though she doesn't know who he is or anything about him, and she's only 16. Also, uh, like her big song that everyone knows is about how dissatisfied she is with her life. If you know the song, uh, and if you know the movie, you'll know that she's the daughter of the king of the ocean. I mean... The ocean's pretty big. I'm assuming there's a lot in there, and I'm assuming that if you're the daughter of royalty, that you have quite a bit. And in fact, she does. She has a treasure trove of wonderful gadgets and gizmos of plenty, right? She's got who's it's and what's it. If you don't know the movie, this will all seem silly to you, but I promise you, if you've seen it, you're tracking along right with me. She has all of these things, but still she wants more. See, she hasn't quite adopted Jesus' worldview of abundance yet. She thinks that she needs more, so she's living out of a scarcity mindset. Anyways, I'm not telling you that you're not allowed to like this movie. I'm just telling you that I don't. Well, in one of the uh, kind of uh, classic scenes from the movie, there's a moment where Ariel is combing her hair with a fork. She has mistaken a fork for a comb because... One of the surface-dwelling animals that she knows will will bring her surface-dweller things. And one of the things that he brings her is a fork, and he tells her that it's a comb. So she mistakenly is using this surface-world item in a way that it was not intended to be used, in a way that it wasn't designed to be used. 
I find this scene really interesting, and I think it applies to what we're going to talk about today. See, our whole lives are to be a reflection of Jesus. We are to be little reflections, little Christs, Christians. We're supposed to be like him. To us, though, I think we have to try really hard to be like him. You know what I'm saying? Like it takes effort and a lot of prayer and a lot of wisdom to try and be like Jesus. So we view reflecting him as kind of a foreign idea, but really it's not supposed to be. It's actually how we were supposed to live in the first place. We were supposed to be his image bearers. We were always supposed to be like Jesus. And the more that we can adopt his worldview, his values and his characteristics, the more that we're going to find real abundant life because we're finally living as we were always designed to live. Speaking of your design and your intention, let me ask you an aspect or an element of our design. What is your mission as the church? If you've been with Cornerstone for any amount of time, you will know by now that it is to make disciples who make disciples. That is our mission. Okay, but what's the goal of that discipleship? What is that supposed to lead to? What is what is what does discipleship end with? Well, one of the benefits is more coming into the kingdom of God as you share the gospel and share your life. More will come into God's kingdom and find that abundant life that you already possess. But for you personally, it's going to lead you towards spiritual maturity. Now, I want you to think of spiritual maturity as living more like your original design, not something that you have to necessarily force, even though we sort of do right now because we're warring with our sinful and rebellious flesh. Our bodies aren't perfect yet, so we still have these fleshly or sinful desires that might be at odds with what our spirit, what we really want to be like. We want to be like Jesus, but we have this war going on within us. And so I want you to think of spiritual maturity as living more like your original design rather than something that we have to force or to do. And what discipleship is, is the process of that spiritual growth. It means you're adopting the worldview of Jesus in all the areas of your life as you develop new spiritual habits and your life is being transformed to be more like Christ. Discipleship means that you're submitted to another spiritually mature person who holds you accountable and speaks truth into your life. They will also train you to be and to do like they did for you with another person. So you'll grow and you'll become a spiritual parent who will invest in another person, transferring your lifestyle of godliness to them. This is what we're designed to do. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you want to grow spiritually? Now, I can try and convince you that you do. I'm pretty good, actually, at arguing. You can ask my wife. Actually, she wins all the time, so don't ask her. Ask somebody else. I'm pretty good at arguing. I'm pretty good at presenting a point. I'm pretty good at writing out a paper to talk about all of the subtleties of the argument or whatever. So I can convince you that you want it, but ultimately that's going to fall short because ultimately that's your decision. Ultimately what your life will be and the way that you view it, the way that you conduct it, 
that falls to you. So do you want to grow spiritually? Or maybe another way of asking that question is, are you living as you were intended to? Because again, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is living the way that God wants us to, which is as a reflection of Jesus as we are his image bearers. Well, if that's what you want, then it requires submitting your will and your life to the process of growth as you unlearn what you think is natural and start living what actually is your design and intended purpose, which is to be a reflection of Jesus. But see, that doesn't happen instantly. It's not a moment. It's a process. It takes time. It takes consistency. Now, what we've seen in the idea of generosity is is that the more generous you are, the more you'll experience growth. And of course, that's true because generosity is how you were designed to live. So the life that you have now can actually take on new meaning and new fullness as you live the way that you were intended to live. How is it that Jesus can offer us a life more abundantly? I mean, I think we think that that's some sort of way off spiritualized thing that might happen someday. And we don't really know what that means to live an abundant life. Well, I'll tell you what it means. Living an abundant life means living like you were intended to live. It means finding what Jesus finds important and doing it. And as you do that, you'll find a new fullness and a new richness and a new experience to life that will feel like a blessing, that will become abundant. That's what Jesus is calling us to be. And when we live generously, we are tapping into the way that we were always designed to live. And so actually growing in generosity is growing in spiritual maturity. Being generous exerts transformational force on your attitudes and on your behaviors. That's because it demands that you view the world the way Jesus does. And then when you live from that mindset of abundance, you'll be tapping into the richness and fullness of life that was always there, but we didn't know because we were living our natural way, our humanly way, and not the way we were designed or intended to. It develops your intention and attention towards yourself and others by making you focus on your financial, physical, and emotional health in ways that will allow you to actually be a blessing for others. And it simultaneously makes you an overall healthy person while benefiting others. And again, I should just recommend The Generosity Paradox, a book that I recommended a couple weeks ago. And there's another book that I'll recommend towards the end of the sermon, one that you should definitely buy. So let me ask you this question. Are you a generous person? Are you a generous person? We've spent these last several weeks talking about how generosity is a defining characteristic of God. It's the way that he views the world. It's an abundant place. It's the way he responds to people. He's not shrewd or angry or mean. Rather, he's a loving God who gives of himself that we might have. It's the reason he gave himself so that we could have life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. See, generosity is a part of the heartbeat of the creator. And when it's lived out by us, his image bearers, we successfully become what we were always supposed to be. So are you a generous person? We've identified four areas of generosity, voluntary financial giving, volunteering, relational generosity, and neighborly generosity. Do you find yourself being generous in every single one of those areas? Well, if you're like me, 
probably not every single one of those. You might be doing one well or two well or maybe even three well, but the fourth one you're trying to be better at. Or maybe you need to work on all four. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are in that spectrum, are you finding yourself to be generous in all of those areas? If not, then you still have some growing to do. You still have some ways in which you can deprogram the way that you used to live and now reprogram the way you were always intended to live as an image bearer. And to grow in these areas, we will need to be faithful and consistent in generosity with our money, our time, our emotions, our influence, our families, and our relationships. To see the sort of transformational growth that you desire is to grow in consistency. What we've said is that one-time acts of generosity don't exert a force of change on you because they're not a practice. What we need to instead do is pick up in these four areas, giving, volunteering, relational, and neighborly generosity. In these four areas, we need to pick up the practice of generosity in order to have our lives changed and reprogrammed to view the world that Jesus, the way that Jesus does. And so when we do that, when we grow in consistency, see, we don't want you to, to become a sporadic gener generous person. We don't want you to go from a non-generous person to a sporadic generous person because that doesn't that doesn't exert spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. It doesn't, it doesn't change you. It's good. It's not, it's definitely better than not being generous, but it's not as good as being consistently generous. And so we want you to grow in consistency because that will exert transformational growth and change in your life. So let's look at each one of these categories today, one of these four that I've mentioned, and let's look at ways to become more faithful and consistent in each one of them. Let's start off with voluntary financial giving. I know there are a lot of uh, money passages that I could have used to prove the point about giving to your church. Certainly, it's all, I mean, it's all over. But I want to focus on the idea that giving should be as natural as living before we talk about money. I mean, it's our intended design. We're supposed to be people who give, who are generous. It's the way we were meant to live. And the more that we do it, the more fullness our lives will find. And this is why Paul tells Timothy in kind of our anchor text throughout this generosity series in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Man, what a great idea for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich, in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. It's truly life to be generous. It's truly life to be hospitable and to give of ourselves. One of the ways that you're going to see transformative spiritual growth in your life, it, it, it'll be to be a consistent financial giver. Consistent financial giving recognizes God's ownership of all your things, including your money. It acknowledges his lordship in a very practical way. It's an exercise in your faith to trust God's provision, even though you have now less because you gave. It's a statement which says, I trust God enough to possess uh, uh, I trust God enough to not possess 
100% of my finances. I will make it on whatever percentage I have left because God is faithful. And this way, giving becomes a joy. Paul draws attention to a group of believers who counted it joy to give financially in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He's pointing out a group called the Macedonian or the Macedonian church to the Corinthians to try and encourage the Corinthians to become more like this other church. Let's see what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What a wild thing that occurs when we live the way that we were intended to live. Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, now he's talking to the Corinthians, he's trying to kind of butter them up to get them to move towards what they're supposed to be. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. Now he challenges them. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul is urging the Corinthian believers to imitate their fellow believers' example by growing in the grace of giving. Growing in the grace of giving transforms our attitudes about giving into one of joy rather than one of obligation. But that only happens as it becomes a regular practice. Without it being a regular practice, it will always feel like I'm forced to give money, like I'm forced to be generous to the church. But the more that I make it regular, and and not only the more that I make that a regular practice, but the more that I adopt Jesus' worldview of an abundant place, an abundant world, the more that I adopt that view, and the more that I realize that I'm blessing others through my own blessings, I'll I'll begin to view it as a joy. We'll actually find freedom in giving the more that we recognize and adopt what Jesus says about giving in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So instead of being owned by your money, You realize that you and all your things are really owned by God. Therefore, what you own can be given as a sign of your trust in God. And pastor said this, I think, in the very first sermon uh, of this generosity series. He said, you can't give what you don't own. You can only give what you own. I found that fascinating. And if I can't give my money away to the church, then I don't really own my money. My money owns me. And it's now my master, as opposed to God being my master. I thought that was a simple way to state a profound truth. Now, from where I stand, I want you to become a consistent financial giver. Yes, of course, to advance the church. Yes, of course, to keep the lights on and the ministries running. But most importantly, and I really mean this, to see your spiritual growth. To see you live as God intended for you to live as a generous person. Consistency in giving will exert transformational growth, producing 
maturity. When you give, you will gain trust. You'll gain a sense of ownership of your church. And one of the kind of side benefits is that you'll actually receive greater financial management. You'll become a better financial steward of your own resources because you'll have to look at your own resources and ensure that you have enough both to give to the church and to pay the light bill and the grocery bill and, you know what I'm saying, all the gas and whatever else that you have uh, bill-wise in your in your life. You'll, you'll actually become a better financial steward than you were before because you'll be paying attention to where your money goes because you're ensuring that your first fruits that the first of what you make returns back to God as an offering of trust to him. Now, you're in luck. Our church is so generous. We have a giving platform that can make your giving recurring and can help you grow the muscle of consistency in giving. Now, I don't want you to discourage recurring giving as if it's not an act of worship. Listen, I know that there's something like intentional and nice in the writing of a check and plopping it in the offering box. I know there's something um, that feels really like uh, uh, purposeful in typing out the number and giving online. But the danger is that you might not give at all because you're depending on your will. That may work for some, but based upon how many diets I've tried and failed, I won't count my myself as a person of extreme willpower and maybe you're like me, you're not a person of extreme willpower. And when it comes to the moment of actually writing the check, like I used to when I was younger, you get scared or you get nervous or you, or you think this is mine and God doesn't really need it. Or you think there's something else that needs to be taken care of first. And so you end up not giving. And so it'd be my encouragement for you to go sign up for recurring giving through our online giving platform, because it will help to ensure that you don't miss a chance to give. Because in that recurring giving, in that regularity, in that practice, in that consistency, it will produce growth. Now I want to be clear on something. I'm not the one who needs to tell you the amount or percentage of your giving. That's way above my pay grade. Listen, the New Testament doesn't give a number. The New Testament doesn't say 10%. That's an Old Testament law. Uh, and it was specifically for the temple. In actuality, the Israelites gave something more like 23.3% of their income. So if we were going to really emulate what the Israelites did and follow the law to the T, you should actually be giving 23.3% of your income. Because with all the feasts and the festivals and the way that they were supposed to take care of their land, leaving the corners uh, when they would harvest their their uh, wheat or their olive harvest or whatever. They were supposed to leave all those leanings and leave the corners available for the poor to actually come and have some subsistence farming. If you were very rich, you were actually providing for the, the poor. It's kind of a welfare system, but done through individuals. 23.3%. Are you ready to give that much? Because if you want to follow the law, very specifically, that's what it says to do. But see... We're not bound by that. We're bound by a relationship to Jesus now. We're not bound by the law. So personally, I think 10% is a wise amount as a baseline. I don't think it necessarily has to hurt or harm. I think that's a good number. But listen, it's not commanded. And even further, it's not the cost of your membership fee to be a part of the church. There's no such thing. The only membership fee is faith in Jesus Christ, is to have a personal relationship with him. There is no membership fee to be a part of 
the church. But I think you're living as you were intended to live when you trust God with a portion of your finances and give it back to the church. So what you need to do is you and God need to settle on a number that's in keeping with your conscience and with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I think 10% is a great starting point. I think it gives you room to grow in even more giving because, again, what Paul encouraged those uh, sorry the Corinthian believers, he encouraged those Corinthian believers to be like the Macedonian believers who, even when they had very little, gave much. We're to grow in that grace of giving. It's such a vital element of our spiritual maturity. Now, remember, generosity is more than money. Okay, we've said this so far in the series. We can be generous with our lives, with our skills, with our talents, with our time. So volunteering is just as vital for your spiritual development. Uh, I don't know if you knew this. It takes about 40 to 50 people to run church on a Sunday. Obviously not this Sunday. It, it takes three, me, Sean, and Andrew. Okay, uh, but that's just the way it is. When we actually meet in person, it takes 40 to 50 people to run church. Of the 150 or more, just uh, Jeremy will give me the, the accurate number. It's 150 plus adults who are now covenant members. Only 50 are consistently volunteering to serve as greeters, teachers with the kids, coffee bar volunteers, the worship team, security guards, and whatever other ministry, tech team, whatever other ministry there is to be on. See, those who volunteer give their time and talents to those who will benefit from their presence and from their experience. So there's another hundred adults in our church who have an opportunity to find real spiritual growth because when you volunteer you gain a sense of belonging and purpose you see your influence as having a positive impact on those around you which can raise your self-esteem and can raise your sense of ownership both of yourself your own skills and abilities because you realize you're a capable person who has agency and ability that's awesome but also it, it raises the sense of ownership that you feel for the people that are in your social network, that are in your web of influence. It's a vitally important thing for us to be volunteering. It's another tangible way that we live out our faith and trust in God. And of course it is. Giving without expectation of return, that's our original design. Doesn't God do that for us all the time? He gives without any expectation that we will return. And yet, he calls us to that because when we give, we are living like we're supposed to be living. So it's the way that we're made to be. And if this is a place that you know that you can be growing in, a place where, listen, I'm not asking you to volunteer 52 Sundays a year in the same spot forever for the rest of your life. But I am asking you to maybe consider month on, month off, joining in with the kids in elementary ministries to volunteer, to be a, a presence and to teach God's word to those who desperately need to hear. Our, our young people need to hear about Jesus, to join the youth ministry and to be a disciple leader in the youth ministry or to help us cook wonderful meals for our fellowship times together. Maybe you need to join the tech team. Jeremy's always looking for people who can come and help run slides and make sure that all the technology things are running properly on a Sunday morning. We need smiling faces, people who will welcome people at the door when we get to be back in person. We need lots of people to help run the church. And when you volunteer, you will be um, um, fulfilling a part of your image-bearing role. So if that's you, if you find that there's a place where you can grow there, 
then contact one of the ministry staff, myself, Eric McAdoo, Eric McNair, Susan Harrell, or Jeremy McNair. There's plenty of us that you can contact, and we would love to find a place for you to serve that keeps with your gifting. Certainly, we want to find a place that will keep with the Spirit's uh, gifts in your life. We want you to exercise those as you fulfill your volunteering role. Now, finally, relational generosity and neighborly generosity are further opportunities for spiritual growth. See, spiritually mature people, they open their homes. Again, at the very beginning of the series, we said that God is a generous host who's opened up this world full of potential, full of abundance, and he wants us all to come into this awesome party called life and be a part of it together. So guess what? Spiritually mature people open their homes. They are generous generous hosts. They open their hearts. They open their resources to bless those around them. After all, that's what our creator has done. It takes intention and attention to share your life this way. But in doing that, you build bridges of connection. I can think, or I can't think rather, I can't think of a better holiday than Thanksgiving, especially during COVID, to remind us of the importance of people. To remind us of the importance of relationships. After the flurry of the preparation for the meal was completed, man, there was just nothing better than sitting down and talking to my family and getting to reacquaint myself with them and reconnect with them and learn about their kids' lives and my other family members' lives and what's going on with them and what's going on in their heart and how they're viewing God lately. That was just an amazing time for me. See, generosity builds relational connections. Being a generous neighbor develops the muscle of attention. The more aware you are of people, the more influence and impact that you can have on their lives. Uh, I talk about my neighbor Juan a lot. Um, Well, that's because he has influence and impact in my life as a good neighbor. I want to be like him as a neighbor. He's willing to give his time. His building expertise and any tools that I may not have to help fix or improve my house. See, his time and his care, yeah, it, it fixes my house up, but really it's an investment in me. Being a generous neighbor and being relationally generous, generous are exactly what create connection and the possibility to show God's love for people for the people that we'll communicate with, for the people in our influences, our spheres of influence. They will provide us, being uh, generous neighbors and relationally generous, they will provide us a chance to share the gospel as we invest in their lives. And, And Paul says that it's, I mean, yes, the gospel is the goal. The gospel is the point. We want to share the gospel. That's the whole thing, right? But in order to do that, we have to share something else. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8, Paul says it this way, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Why? Because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This is how spiritually mature people operate. Because the time that you spend with others and for others is not wasted. It's an investment in their lives, but it has the the added benefit 
of producing growth in yours. It's a blessing to see others blessed. It's a blessing to be a part of the blessings that people are experiencing. So let's go back to our original question after having examined those four areas of ways to be generous. Do you want to go to grow spiritually? Do you want to grow personally? Do you want to find that abundant life that Jesus talks about where there is more richness and fullness as you live the way you were intended to live? The answer is yes to those questions, then consistent generosity will produce that abundant life. It's the way you were intended to be. There's a reason that we've titled this series Truly Living. Abundant life can be gained. It happens when we reflect Jesus as his image bearers. We'll find that every other way of living, it just pales in comparison because it's a cheaper version of what we were always intended to be. Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm just not, I'm just not wired to be a generous person. I just don't, that just doesn't come naturally to me. Well, if you're a Christian, actually you are wired to be a generous person. But it doesn't feel natural yet because our sinfulness and our rebellion fight against the way that we're intended to be. So the point is not that we have to be perfect yet. We don't have to go from zero to 100 miles an hour in generosity right away. But the point is that we're all to be growing in our consistency and generosity. And through that regularity, we'll find it to be more and more natural. It'll become second nature to us to be generous as we adopt more of Jesus' worldview, and it will become more and more joyful. There's something enchanting about living a generous life. Life is always an opportunity. It's always a blessing. There's always more to do. It's joyful. It's filled with joy. Because when we grow in consistency and generosity, we will be growing spiritually. We will be um, living as we were always designed to be. So what I am asking you to do, I'm asking you to take a look at your finances, to take a look at your time and your talents, to take a look at your home life and circles of relational influence and begin to ask God where he can use you to be generous in those. Again, I'm not asking you to go from zero generosity to uh, 10 in generosity, but let's take some steps to go from zero to one to two to three, and let's ask God how we can be generous in specific areas of our lives. The church has afforded lots of opportunities to begin that pursuit that can then come out of out of your life of the church and then be a part of your life outside where we're always intended to do the real ministry. In the same way, though, that we're telling people who aren't naturally outgoing people, go and make relationships, go and make disciples. We want to tell people who are naturally more frugal that you should be generous. We're telling people who are naturally homebodies to give their time and emotional bandwidth. Get to know people in relationship. We're telling people who are naturally comfortable in their routines, shake it up a little bit, volunteer, give some of your time, uh, break out of that, that pattern that you're in and develop new patterns of living, new practices of living where you're giving your skills and your time and your presence to people who can grow from that impact that you give. I'm wanting you to grow to spiritual maturity. And the way that you'll grow is through growing in consistency and generosity. When you give, you live. When you give, you grow. 
So this week, um, spouses, there needs to be a conversation about giving if it's not already a part of your lives. Many of you are already giving faithfully. Well done. Excellent job. Those who maybe aren't giving faithfully yet, that's okay. This is an area to grow. So maybe spouses have a conversation this week about giving if it's not already a part of your lives. This is what I, this maybe is a little anecdotal, but this is what I found to be true over some time in ministry. There's a natural spender and a natural saver in every relationship. And you need to figure out between the two of you in a conversation how to arrange your money to accommodate regular financial giving. Because in doing that, you will grow. Many of you need to approach a staff member this week and to see where you can plug into their ministries as you volunteer your time to impact others. It makes you a better steward of your own time because then you have to schedule and figure out how you're going to be faithful to this thing that you're doing at this time while also being faithful to the other things that are going on in your life. And God wants us to be good stewards of the ways that we give. And so if you volunteer, it will help you to grow as a person who manages their time wisely. So find a staff member, communicate with them. We'd love to plug you into a place of service. Parents, your kids won't make giving a priority if you only talk about it. You have to model that by the way that you live. Yes, in your money. But yes, in volunteering. But yes, in emotional uh, or sorry, relational generosity where you're giving your emotions and your time and your bandwidth to other people as well as to your kids. Yes, in neighborly generosity, your kids need to see you be neighborly, to care for the people in your sphere of influence and maybe literally in your distance from you, from your house. They need to see that modeled in you because when they see that, they will understand that that is a priority in your life. And if it's a priority in your life, it will translate to a priority in their life. So if you want to grow in maturity and if you want them to grow in maturity, both personally and spiritually, you have to lead the way in being a generous person, explaining why it is we make Sunday morning a priority in our lives, why it is we volunteer, why it is we give our time, our effort, and our love to these people through through emotional investment, why it is we give our care and some of our tools sometimes, even though it could be irksome that we didn't get it back right when we wanted to, why we give our care to the neighbors around us. When we do that, we will be modeling for them the example of what we were always intended to be, which is reflections of Jesus. See, the sign of maturity in each of us will be the way that we live generously. Growing in generosity is growing in spiritual maturity. So do you want it? Do you want to grow spiritually? Let me ask it the way I did earlier. Do you want to live as a reflection of Jesus? That's how you were intended to live. And when you live that way, you'll be tapping into abundant life, real life, life that is truly life. So let me encourage you this week to be rich in good deeds as you are generous and willing to share. There's a lot for us to think about this morning. So what I think we ought to do is we ought to pray. Ask God to challenge us, to move us towards this this generous lifestyle where we become consistent 
in generous actions, whether it's voluntary financial giving, whether it's volunteering, relational or neighborly generosity. In these four areas, we can become more generous with God's help and the Holy Spirit's leading. So this week, we're going to pray just here in a moment. I'm going to ask God to challenge each one of us to be more generous and to look for ways to be intentional and to pay attention to how we can become more generous. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your heartbeat, which leads us towards being generous because of your kindness, because of your love. You're not just content to hold on to all these blessings. No, you want to share them with us. You want us to enjoy our life. But the most enjoyment and the most uh, uh, fullness and the most richness that we'll pull out of life will happen as a result of living the way that you intended us to live as generous people. Help us to realize this week that as we grow spiritually, we ought to be growing in the grace of giving and the grace of volunteering, and the grace of relational generosity, where we give our emotions and our time to people, and the grace of uh, neighborly generosity, where we're doing acts of care for those around us. Help us to grow in these graces of giving, because when we grow there, we will be growing to maturity. We will be living as we were always intended to live. So help us this week, Father, to put off the old self, Help us to put off our sin nature and instead to put on Christ. Fill us this week. Holy Spirit, give us a sense of direction. Help us to have conversations with our spouses and our kids and the people around us about what it looks like to live generously. Challenge our hearts this week to focus on these four areas and see where we can be practical If there's ways that we can give to the church, if there's ways that we can volunteer with the church, help us to begin to grow in those small areas. And then we can begin to grow from there to become generous people in our communities and to our neighbors and to the people around us. And when we do that, we'll make true impact and have real influence on the people around us because they'll know us by the fact that we love them and care for them. Because we're not just pleased to share the gospel, we're also pleased to share our very lives. Help us to be generous this week, Father. Thank you again for a great Thanksgiving. Help us to all be safe through all this COVID craziness. Give us protection and provision. Help us to trust and lean on you this week. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.